Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that illuminates a wide range of challenges and triumphs our military-connected kids experience. My name is David Perez-Guerra, and I'll be your host today. This episode was made possible thanks to the support from the Scott Spouses Club. Joining me today is Sarah Flowers from Seven County Services in Louisville, Kentucky, and Steve Cameron from the Kentucky Department of Behavioral Health. We discuss how Kentucky took a data-driven approach and joined prevention efforts with Purple Star designation to go above and beyond creating a supportive environment for military-connected kids. Sarah and Steve, welcome to our podcast today. Happy to be here, Dave. Thanks for having us on the show today. We appreciate it. You bet. It's really great to have you here today. Well, why don't we start with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourselves and your background? My name is Sarah Flowers. I work for Seven County Services in Louisville, Kentucky, and the statewide military family resiliency specialist. I relocated to Kentucky in, in 2015 with my family. I'm proud Navy brat. Uh, grew up outside of the world's largest naval base in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, and also have uh, two brothers who served in the Army and the Virginia Army National Guard. Steve? Um, I'm Steve Cameron, and uh, also uh, born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. I've spent most of my life in, in Kentucky, except for a brief stint abroad. I went, lived abroad, lived in France for a few years. And I, I came back to Kentucky in the early 90s, uh, finished my master's degree in French and got interested in the prevention side of things. An opportunity came to work uh, with some folks on a, on a state, uh, in what we call the state incentive grant. And what appealed, the reason it appealed to me was that it was a chance to kind of change communities you know when you're in education you're changing a community but you're changing at a mind at a time i guess uh but this was kind of a population level change focused on on kind of a, a broader scope so i've been in prevention now for about 20 years i have uh, been the project director of three uh federal grants uh, from the substance abuse mental health services uh, administration and have worked in a number of prevention roles in Kentucky. And, you know, it's been interesting for me to see how prevention has evolved from 2001 when I started to now 2023 where we are. The research uh, has advanced the field enormously. So it's been really rewarding to see that evolution. Thanks for sharing that. So. How is it that both of you became interested specifically in working with military families? Sarah, obviously your military background had something to do with that, but um, I'd be curious to see how it is you became maybe more focused on this population. And the same with you, Steve. So, like I said, I, growing up in a military family, um, however, my my dad was, uh, during the, the period where he, he didn't deploy a lot, we, he had only one six-month deployment, um, however, my my daughter's father was military and he was deployed all the time. And so I really started seeing things um, within my personal life, even both of my brothers deploying to Iraq, uh, understanding the impact that that had on my family. 
Um, my older brother, he died by suicide in 2014. So I think this was really the push for me to be active um, when working with military families. Um, and the following year, year and a half after my brother died, I learned about prevention. You know, I, I used to be a used car salesperson, and then I realized about this thing called prevention and how we could ultimately prevent suicide from ever happening. And um, so I started, um, you know, at the local level, working with um, local groups and agencies and um, really wanted to do everything that I could to, to help the community um, build resiliency and reduce those risk factors that put them at greater risk for, for suicide and, and substance use. So it's is very much my heart and passion and uh, what I live and breathe. Thanks for sharing that. What about you, Steve? So my work with, with military families came late in my career. I don't have the strong military connections that, that Sarah does, though my father uh, is a Korean War veteran, but his military service occurred before he was married and before we had a family. And, you know, previous to this work, I didn't really consider myself military connected, but now that I'm into it a little bit more and, and working with uh, the Purple Star program, I, I kind of do see some things that uh, how his military service has indirectly affected me, but though not in the way uh, that it affects active service members where their where their parents are deployed. But um, basically, for me, about seven years ago, uh, we were again. It was one of these federal grants that we were involved in, and the one of the subpopulations that we dealt with was the, you know, the military population. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but um, I want to speak to something that, that Sarah said about how she came to prevention, um, you know, uh, as she was uh, selling cars before that. I was teaching French before that, and I think it's interesting that there is no one door that you go through to become a prevention specialist. It's all about your personal passion and it's all about your on-the-job training and certainly in my work i am at the state level i'm with the division of substance uh, use disorder prevention and sarah was working as a service provider that's how i met her uh, in the field and certainly her passion came through very clearly in the reports when i read the reports that she was filing uh, quarterly reports on what was going on in her service region and the great work that she was doing with military connected youth. Um, I clearly saw someone that that had not only a passion, but a vision for moving our state forward and working with these military connected youth. You mentioned the Purple Star program, and we will certainly dive into that a little further in this conversation. But in 2015, the Kentucky Department of Behavioral Health Development and Intellectual Disabilities received a federal grant from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. The needs assessment uh, for this grant that was completed provided some fairly concerning information. Can you discuss these findings and how they established the framework for the programs that are now active in Kentucky? 
Well, I can speak to that from, again, the state level, because I was at the beginning part of this process, and Sarah came in a little bit later after we started to roll out the grant. In the, as you said, it was the uh, Partnership for Success 2015. We have a uh, statewide school survey that we implement in grades 6, 8, 10th, and 12 in Kentucky, and it's called the Kentucky Incentives for Prevention um, Survey. So if I let loose with an acronym and I say KIPP, K-I-P, that's what that means. It's the KIPP survey. And in 2014, which was when we did the baseline needs assessment for this federal grant, we added a question to the survey that we had never, we've never asked before. We added a military identifier and we asked those students uh, if they had a military connection, if it was a parent, uh, a caregiver, a sibling, or someone close to them was either in active service or a veteran, and that included National Guard, reserves, et cetera. And first of all, we were very surprised to see the number of students who reported a military connection. It was about 40%. And that's a pretty good number because, as I said, this is a statewide survey, and it, it was done in about 150 out of 170 of our school districts. So there were over 100,000 kids. And again, this is just sixth, eighth, 10th, and 12th graders. So a good number of those kids had military connections, which surprised us. And they weren't all near mili the military bases that we have in Kentucky. So we have Fort Campbell uh, out west down on the Tennessee border and Fort Knox. Um, and But they were spread out all over the state. And when we begin to look at those numbers of those kids who reported military connections. And we asked the question, and there were three response patterns that you could have to that question. Either you didn't have a military connection or you didn't know about one, or you had one military connection, or you had two or more. And as we started to look at that data and look and cross-tabulate it with substance use, uh, particularly our focus on this grant was um, prescription drug uh, use. And when we looked at that particular indicator, we saw that those military connected youth had higher rates of uh, substance use. And then when we looked at some other indicators about behavioral health issues, such as serious psychological distress, being bullied, uh, suicide ideation, they, those kids also military connected had significantly higher rates. And it it actually, the more military connection you had, the higher you were on the scale. And so that to me was, well, for all of us at the state level, was a real eye-opener. We had never seen that data up to that point. And so for me, it just became suddenly, a I had a professional obligation to, to try to, to work with this population and do something about it because we talk about being data-driven in our planning. And so there's the data, now you gotta do something about it. In 2019, I met with the Kentucky National Guard Teen Council, which is comprised of high school students who have a family member currently serving in the National Guard. And I showed them the data that Steve talked about from 2014 and 2018, and it's just, had real life conversations with the youth about what they thought about the data and why military connected youth 
were reporting higher rates of, of suicide thoughts and attempts and higher rates of substance use. And they, they told me about um, feeling isolated in schools and feeling like no one understood what they were going through. Um, they talked about being bullied um, by other students because other students didn't understand what it was like to be in a military family. And they also talked about how important it was for them to have those peer connections, how much they appreciated when they could get together with other National Guard youth um, to be able to talk about these things. And so that's really what kickstarted our, our programs and work with the youth was because we listened to them and um, wanted to be able to provide that supportive environment for them. I'm always a little surprised by the honesty these kids will present when they're queried, particularly when they're queried in a confidential manner like this. Do you have some thoughts on why it is they open up the way they do? I think most youth speak up when they're asked. I think we assume that they don't have these thoughts going on in their head. You know, when I do a lot of presentations and talk about military youth, I educate people and say they they think about war. They think about these bigger pictures that sometimes grown-ups or adults think that youth aren't following politics or aren't following, you know, big issues that are going on and I think that if we give them an opportunity to to speak and to actually listen um and and show them, you know, we hear you and now we're going to act based off of what you're saying, uh, I think, is is key for for adults to just remember and ask the question and listen. We we also get that question sometimes from folks outside of our prevention system, and they will ask us like, "How do you know those kids are? I don't even know if they're telling you know they're telling you the the truth on on what they're answering." And the response to that is there there are some built in. Uh, mechanisms in the survey to identify people uh, who are not, and I don't want to reveal all those, but um, the the second thing is that it's based on uh, a a closely modeled after a national survey. And so when we look at our Kentucky data, we see that it mirrors more or less what's happening on the national scale. So clearly all those kids all across the nation couldn't be telling untruths in the same in the same way at the same time. So it's like, yeah, this is consistent with the national trend. So yeah, this is coming out. And obviously those, the the main, you know, thing that we have to do is to ensure that those responses are kept anonymous and confidential. So there are no identifiers on them. And we take great pains to make that clear to all of our um, participants in all the schools. As this program has grown in Kentucky, there's obviously a little differentiation between other programs that have been been implemented around the United States, and that's not saying uh, good or bad one way or the other, but can you differentiate what's happening in Kentucky in comparison to other programs? What we found is that a lot of other states really started their Purple Star programs through their departments of education or and or legislation, which still leads to... Um, the Department of Education, where 
our program here in Kentucky is really came out of the um, prevention and promotion branch out of the um, division for behavioral health. And so everything with um, our program, it, like Steve said, it's, it's very data driven. Um, we're really focusing on, you know, the data that we receive from the, the surveys. Um, and so we are looking at evaluating our program differently and, even with our partners on our statewide advisory board, we have our you know traditional uh, Department of Education, Department of Veteran Affairs, you know the military associations. However, we also have our regional prevention centers, our uh, Kentucky Center for Injury Prevention uh, Research Center, and. Uh, Kentucky Agency for Substance Abuse Policy. And so we have a lot of non-traditional partners that really helps sustain the the work that we're doing. I want to go back to something that, that Sarah mentioned earlier when she was talking about data, and she was talking about that focus group that she did with the Teen Council. Uh, for me, and, and for the direction that that this program took, that was pivotal. It was pivotal because we were able finally to get some qualitative um, data on why these things were happening. We had, you know, the numbers, but we hadn't really sat down with the population that we were addressing to ask them why they felt why these things were happening. And so when I saw the results of that, Sarah and I began to work a little more closely together. and we recognized then we had a better look at what the needs were and then the problem after that was to to try to find a program uh, or some kind of strategy that would help um, fill that need and it was a difficult process for us because at the time in our prevention system we didn't have a lot of experience working with the military sector we didn't have a lot of linkages this, you know, was not a sector that traditionally we worked with. When when I did my uh, community coalition work and we were doing coalition building, the the military, you know, the, the service members, uh, families and veterans, I uh, was not a, a sector that I would tell my coalitions to say, hey, these folks need to be on board. So we had to do. It, it took a few years of of us building capacity and making connections with some of those folks that. Um, that Sarah just mentioned, with we had to hook up with the with the connect with the um, Kentucky National Guard, with the base commanders at Fort Campbell and Fort Knox, and there was just a whole array of folks that that we had to get on board, and that took some time. But once we 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 got that in place, we were we were able to move forward rather rapidly. A hallmark of the Purple Star program is creating and developing a welcoming school environment. Obviously, what you've done with Purple Star takes this a significant step further. So can we discuss maybe a little bit more in depth on how uh, what you're doing in Kentucky might be a little different than is being done in other states and how this all dovetails together? We have local service provider, prevention service providers 
um, throughout the state in 14 different regions. And they really work closely with our um, schools on their coalitions, um, providing technical assistance on substance use and, um, and suicide prevention. And so they are the ones that are marketing our Purple Star program to the schools uh, and helping educate the schools on, on the awareness and need to uh, support military-connected youth. And once a Purple Star awarded school uh, becomes awarded and is a part of this network, they're now given additional resources and information about the prevention services that we provide and and offer different programs. And we're really able, a lot of our programs we've reformatted or remodeled to specifically attract military connected youth. And so having that local resource from prevention service providers, I think is is really what makes us different. Yeah, and I, I think also because the data that that drove this whole process was in our division uh, at the time, the Division of Behavioral Health, rather than the Department of Education. We became the the generator of the plan, if you will, because we had the data. Um, and I, I didn't realize this at the time, but as, as Sarah and I began to contact other states and ask them how they were addressing this population, what we found out is that a lot of folks, even even their prevention networks, did not have access to this data. And so for us, as she said, we go with our service providers because we collaborate with them. They are boots on the ground. And we put our heads together on this and said, how, how are we going to engage this community that we know has a high incidence of this problem? And, and how are we going to address their needs? And it took um, it was a, a collaboration, obviously, between the state level folks, me and then Sarah working in her position um, to get um, those service providers on board and get everybody moving in the same direction. Uh, and I will say that, you know, the, the one the, the reason why we chose this particular program was it, it gets back to that again, that focus group that Sarah uh, had talked about is building resiliency and and creating uh, a sense of connection uh, among these military uh, connected youth and their schools and their peers uh, because one of the things that as she said came out of the focus group is they felt isolated they felt like these their peers their civilian peers of schools didn't really understand what they were going through and so what purple star tries to do is to enhance those protective factors to create an awareness around what these kids are going through Thanks for sharing that. So what are the key risk factors that make military connected kids vulnerable to things like substance abuse or behavioral health problems? I think one of the um, key risk factors or the largest one or the most or the loudest are, you know, the, the constant change with military families in transition, um, whether that's relocation, deployments, you know, we read the we read the national data on um, you know the average military youth attend six to nine different schools throughout their K through twelve experience. Uh, however, I th I think you know some of the 
the smaller ones that we that we don't see so much are our National Guard youth who aren't as easily recognized. You know, we we before we really started doing this work, we concentrated around Fort Knox and Fort Campbell, our two army uh, installations. However, um, we see the data shows the National Guard youth, our veteran youth, um, you know, the uh, service members are being exposed to trauma, which now is in the household. There may be uh, service members that um, have wounds from service, whether that's physical or emotional, and, and that impacts the home, it impacts the youth. And, um, you know, with isolation, feeling like, you know, they can't talk to someone at home, they can't talk to someone at school, nobody really understands what it's like to have a father or a parent a service member return from service not the same way that they were before. Um, you know, our our active duty service members have a great resource, great community. You know, I, I grew up out, outside of a naval base, so all of my friends were military. Everyone I knew, I played soccer for the um you know, the, the base and for 10 years. And so we had that community because we didn't relocate once I moved to Virginia Beach, Virginia. However, our National Guard families don't have those same resources. You know, oftentimes they're in rural communities. Um, and so they don't have access to the same programming. They don't have access um, to that same community of support. Um, so there are a lot of huge risk factors that make military youth more susceptible to, to substance use and, and suicide. Steve, you have anything to add to that? I, I think Sarah covered it pretty well. I, I would like to emphasize that the, the, the military youth who are not on base have a very different experience, as Sarah said, to those uh, who live on base because they are in already this community that understands them, but the the kids who are not are, you know, in a civilian setting and they don't wear uniforms. And most of the time when they're in school, the schools don't even know that they are military connected. And that is part of the problem because when these deployments happen, and, and National Guard, you, when you think about it, think of what is going on in terms of adverse weather events. Here in Kentucky, in the last year, we had a major tornado that ripped through western Kentucky, and National Guard were deployed there for an extended period of time. And then this year, we had, uh, no, it was last year, we had very severe flooding in eastern Kentucky. And, and again, National Guard were deployed there to help do the cleanup. Uh, we have National Guard members uh, deployed on the border, and so they're gone for extended periods of time, and their their kids don't have the kind of support system that uh, a military base would offer. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do with this Purple Star program is to ensure that those kids are understood. And, and if there is, for example, because we've heard this, um, from some military parents when, um, when their kids have discipline problems at school, th those discipline problems might be driven by 
some emotional problems that they're having because their parents are not at home, but the school treats it as a discipline problem and disciplines them like they're just acting out, but not looking at the root cause, which may be, well, you know, my dad's been deployed for six months and I miss him and I'm frustrated. And, you know, uh, and so that's what we're trying to create this, this awareness around. Without being specific, can you talk about either on an individual basis or maybe even on a campus basis, how this approach has benefited the military uh, connected children population? Well, I can give a, a, a great example of that. Uh, because of our work with the Kentucky National Guard Teen Council, we were able to invite four teens to um, a prevention conference. And Steve, I don't remember, CADCA Communities Against Drug... Community Anti-Drug Coalitions. Community Anti-Drug Coalition. So we brought these youth to this uh, national training summit earlier this year in Washington, D.C., and they learn um, leadership and um, really the skills that to within prevention, leadership prevention. And after attending this conference, they went back to their schools. Their schools spoke about um, what they learned at this conference, and they were invited to the community to talk about uh, what we presented at this national conference uh, on this data that we're, we spoke about, about how military youth are at greater risk. And, um, and they talked about Purple Star Schools, and they because of the work that they did, they their school is now being awarded the Purple Star School. And so they were a perfect example of how, you know, we, we listened to the youth, we brought them along, we're teaching them the skills, and now they're going back into their communities and making a difference in their communities. Not, not only their individual lives ha have been impacted, but now they're impacting their school, other military youth in their school, and their entire community. And so I think that's that's one of the greatest um, things that we could ask for for the work that we're doing is empowering the youth, our future leaders. Yeah, that example is a really powerful testimonial for the things you guys are doing, and we're all so grateful. So Sarah, I know you're going to be presenting at the MSEC Global Training Summit in Washington, D.C. next month. Maybe without giving uh, everything away, can you talk a little bit about what you're going to be presenting and maybe how that ties into what we're talking about today? So we talked about how Kentucky received this federal grant in 2015. And at the training summit, I'm really going to take the step-by-step -step process on how we um, looked at our needs assessment and how we began building that capacity at the local level to even begin working with the military uh, population and how once we started our Purple Star Award back in 2021, we are now utilizing all of our other prevention resources to partner with schools and really build that resiliency for military connected youth. You know, it's beyond creating that supportive environment, but now we're you know, they have trusted adults within the schools. They are learning coping skills and um, refusal skills and 
all of these skills that are going to increase those protective factors, um, putting them at, at, at less risk. And so it's really going to be a step-by-step -step process on, on how Kentucky uh, started the work and how we are sustaining the work, how we found and now their non-traditional partners are finding us and reaching out to us saying, hey, I, I want to support the work you're doing. Um, here's some money that we have from a grant and we want to invest in your program. And so now we are able to continue this work and to grow this work because of the partnerships that we have built over the last several years. Outstanding. So Steve, the Purple Star USA National Conference is scheduled for later this fall. Can you tell us a little bit about this conference and why connecting with professionals um, that attend is so important? So the Purple Star USA uh, conference, the, our first ever annual national convening of Purple Star schools and communities happened last year. And it was as a result of initially a conversation that Team Kentucky had with uh, our colleagues in Ohio and the uh, Ohio Department of Education, uh, a gentleman by the name of Pete Lupiba, is the developer of the Purple Star program. And at the time we were looking to roll it out of Kentucky, we naturally, we went to the source and he was the developer and we asked him for some pointers. And he was very generous with his time and he shared a lot of material and got us, got us up and running. He is, uh, that's a that's a big reason why we were able to move so swiftly is that we had his guidance and through our discussions of touching base with him and checking in with him we throughout the idea we just collectively said you know it's about time that we did something on a national level and uh so we convened a planning committee last year of about mm, i think there were 12 or 13 different states and put together um uh, uh, it was a one-day conference, a virtual conference, so that people didn't have to travel. We have to be mindful that uh, a lot of teachers are involved in this program, and so they, you know, they don't have. It's it's hard for them to get away from the classroom, and it was basically uh, a series of presentations on what's going on in other states relative to the Purple Star program, and what other supplementary programs that communities are doing to address the the needs of the military youth population. My pitch on this, my sales pitch, if you will, is that it will allow it's it's an information sharing venue where folks can look at what's going on in another state and maybe take take something back and try it in their own state. We learned a tremendous we we learned a tremendous amount. And and that's actually our work with these folks. That's when we became aware of kind of how our Purple Star program was different than others, because. There's no, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's what works best in your state. We are now in the process of doing a call for proposals and we want all interested, um, not just high level state folks. We want community folks. We want teachers. We want youth groups to apply and to talk about their successes, their challenges and their lessons learned. So that is, uh, will take place this year. Uh, again, on op October 26th, we chose that date because it is the National Day of the Deployed and honor of those folks, uh, those uh, service members being deployed. Um, and 
So uh, more on that will follow. MSEC has been a huge partner in this process. They came last year and talked about their evaluation results. We plan to have them back uh, to talk about all the good work that they're doing as well. Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? If people are interested um, in learning more or the call for proposals, they can check out our Facebook page at KY Purple Star Award Program or our website, kypurplestar.org. And they can submit proposals. They can, once registration is open, um, they're able to attend. Um, and we would love to, to see uh, everyone attend this year. We had a great turnout. And thanks to Ashland University, who provided the technical support um, for the conference. Uh, with that, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to visit with us today. I think the overriding theme here is that the work you are doing with these kids is powerfully important. Um, it has also been wonderfully successful and and that you're implementing and making changes that uh, give these kids hope. And it's uh, really a beautiful thing. So I want to thank both of you, not only for taking the time to visit with me today, but the much bigger picture of of impacting these kids' lives. Well, we'd like to thank you and MSEC for, for the support that you provided for us and helping us to, to get the word out. As Sarah said, we started this and we had our first Purple Star School in Kentucky in 2021. And now we've got 42 schools on board and we're going to have our fall application round coming out pretty soon. And we want this to become a statewide network of schools. Yes, and we look forward to seeing everyone uh, in DC and please uh, attend the session on Tuesday where I'll be diving deeper into all of the amazing work that we're doing here in Kentucky. So uh, thank you, David, and, and thank you, MSEC, for the opportunity to, to showcase the work that we're doing. I'd like to thank Sarah and Steve for their time today. We're very grateful to have them working on behalf of military kids in Kentucky and their innovative approach to Purple Star designation is both enlightening and inspiring. Don't miss Sarah's session at the Global Training Summit, Building Capacity to Serve Military-Connected Youth, Tuesday, July 25th. We'll be providing information and links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you enjoyed this episode, like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to leave us a comment to let us know the topics you want to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Scott Spouses Club for supporting this episode. And we hope you will too by giving today's show a five-star rating. I'm David Perez-Guerra. Until next time, live a great story.